I turn around and there's this 200 foot wall of flames just coming up the hill. We couldn't stay on a ridge. We had to dive off the ridge top because it was coming up at us. And uh, all I could remember is my mother is not gonna like this. Jenny Reinhardt was fighting a fire in the Clearwater National Forest in North Central Idaho, creating a fire break, a line where the fire should not cross, when she was caught in the burn. Afterwards, she wanted to ask her supervisor how he knew to dive off the ridge. I go, how did you know to go over the hill? He goes, I didn't. I didn't know there wasn't fire there. He goes, but we didn't have any other choice. Jenny used to fight fire, but now she is making it her partner in the fight for forest health. She began a new job as a fire and fuel specialist for the Forest Service. There, she set prescribed burns in the Wallowa Whitman National Forest in Oregon for forest restoration. She stands on a steep slope, perched casually between the roots of a large ponderosa pine. As she speaks, she leans against the tree, one hand stretched out to touch a fire scar in the tree bark. Jenny describes herself as pro-fire. She explains some of the objectives of prescribed burns. Basically, A, reduce the downwoody material, and then uh, the other reason would be to reintroduce fire to the landscape. But fire wasn't always seen as beneficial. In 1910, a series of enormous fires burned millions of acres of forest in 10 different states, earning the name the Big Burn. The Forest Service then began a new management policy, extinguishing fires as soon as they ignited. Now scientists realize that without fire, forests become unhealthy with too many trees for the available water and sunlight. When fires are frequent, they burn the underbrush, but rarely engulf entire stands of trees. But when a fire starts in these unhealthy forests, the densely packed, stressed trees will all burn, as the flames can easily leap from one tree to the next. Fire is essential to forest health. So what would it look like if we could let fire burn? I'm scared of fire around here. With climate change, this land is getting hotter and drier. This is Bill DeBuiz, author of A Great Aridness. He lives in northern New Mexico, a little outside of town surrounded by forest. He has been preparing for the possibility of fire. What I have done is, in my alleged spare time for maybe the last five years, I've spent most of my time cutting trees around my house. His book focuses on the effects of climate change, so he is well aware of the risk of fire in the Southwest. But he built his home near the forest anyways. It is a perpetual problem. Houses and people border forests and our social values will preference human safety and private property at any cost. There is a second problem with setting fire free, and one that is specific to where Bill lives. While Jenny seeks to reintroduce fire to the northwest forest, the southwestern forest Bill lives in is significantly drier. He jokes, If you get to choose what you come back as, you know, in reincarnation, do not choose to be a tree in the southwest. That's a losing game. If a forest in the Southwest burns, the combined stresses of climate change and a history of fire suppression may mean that fire is the end of the forest. The land may be so hot and so dry it can no longer support trees. If homes are the first obstacle and the effects of climate change are the second, then this is the third. People come to know and love forests, assume a level of stability in landscapes, but with fire comes change. Is this something we can learn to accept? This place could catch fire next year. 
and be just completely leveled. And then what do you love? The next forest that comes, can you love the ashes? Fire is constrained by these three boundaries, human health and safety, the effects of climate change, and the values placed on stable landscapes. Two sides of this triangular box are immovable. Human lives will always come first, and fire may never return to the Southwest. But the last is more malleable. With its malleability comes the possibility of expanding the role of fire in forest management. The first step in that process is learning to see the opportunity provided by fire, not just the loss it causes. Jenny recalls the progression after Yellowstone National Park burned in 1988. When Yellowstone burned, they actually stopped allowing fires to burn naturally. And then they slowly came back around when vegetation started growing again and uh, they started seeing the impacts, the good impacts of the fire. Learning is a slow process, but we can take a lesson from ecological opportunities that follow disturbance. The cones of some trees only open in fire. The trees that burn but remain standing after fire create habitat for birds. And with the burning of conifer forests comes space for aspen to grow in the sunlight. Careful burns will show that fire can occur without the devastation of 1910 and will actually prevent larger, more catastrophic fires. Eventually, it will get to the point where we can do that and let fire burn when they start. I would love to see that. In populated areas, it won't happen. There will always be suppression. Um, in remote areas, yeah, I see the possibility of that. We currently suppress 98% of all fires. That number will never be zero. But maybe it can be pushed down to 95% as we slowly, carefully, and ever so patiently reintroduce fire to the landscape. That one of the problems a lot of people have when they do fires, they don't provide themselves breathing room. But I pick ridge tops knowing I could burn two ridges over. You know, so I'd have like 300 acres on either side of the unit that I could still burn. Jenny takes great care in setting her burns. Fires will always be dangerous. She of all people knows this. There are times when Jenny has planned a burn but waits for the right weather. There can't be too much wind, but there has to be enough precipitation to ensure the fire grows out. She wants to keep the flames under four feet, and to ensure that, there are lots of variables she has to consider. You take into account the fuel moisture. You take into account what kind of wind speeds you're going to have. You have to take into account your relative humidities, what you have for relative humidities, because that's going to impact your fuel moistures. And you also take into account your slope. It's hard to accept fire back, knowing its destructive power, but it's necessary and important. Fires may not be possible in the increasingly dry southwest or near populated areas, but it can be redefined as opportunity in the right places. Certainly a fire brings change to the landscape, but it does not necessarily damage. Reaching that understanding will take time and patience. So for now, it's just one prescribed burn one stand of trees, one fire success story at a time. We can learn to accept fire, to become curious, and maybe even become fascinated by it. They started lighting the ground on fire, and I'm like, we can do this? And they're like, yeah, I'm going, really? I go, you guys aren't going to go to jail? And they're going, no, and I'm like, and I was hooked.
For National Public Lands Radio, I'm Marissa Childs.